every parent wants to believe that they're the ones that have this straight line. I was really hoping I had the straight line. The reality reality is it's never a straight line. Um, we were gonna. It was inevitable, and I hate to say that. Hello, and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. This is Julia Worth, your host, the registered dietitian here in New Haven, Connecticut. And I just want to say welcome to NIDA Week. This is the National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. Um, It's sponsored by the National Eating Disorders Association. And um, this week, we're having something very special here on the podcast. We are having an episode every single day to talk about eating disorders, to talk about what people need to be aware of, and to talk about different people who are involved with eating disorders. So it's not just someone who has anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, orthorexia, whatever other type of eating disorder you have, they are not the only other people who are involved. There are caregivers, there are providers, there are so many people who have a place in the eating disorder community. And I think it's important that we take some time to really talk about what is the role of each of those people and you know what do they need to be aware of? And what do others need to be aware of in case they become one of those people, especially a parent or sibling or uh, friends, which you can easily become and probably are already um, without knowing it. But before we get into our show, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Alsana is an eating recovery community whose mission is to deliver holistic evidence-based treatment for those walking the hard but rewarding road to full recovery and freedom from disordered eating. Alsana's philosophy on eating disorder care is centered around clients' full well-being. We treat the whole person, not just the disorder. Alsana's innovative adaptive care model enables our team to meet clients where they are on their journey, integrating medical, nutritional, and therapeutic care with movement and relational therapies. Alsana is proud to serve all genders and members of the LGBTQ community, providing the best care possible for a full spectrum of eating disorders and co-occurring disorders. In 2019, we expanded programs to serve vegan clients, and this year we launched our Diabulimia program. As always, you can learn more or get help by visiting alsana.com, that is A-L-S-A-N-A.com, and follow us on LinkedIn at Alsana and Instagram at Alsana underscore recovery. If you have any questions or may have a client in need of a higher level of care, please reach out to the local outreach director. She's local to the Northeast. Um, her name is Michelle Whirl. W-O-E-H-R-L-E at 631-871-4144. That's 631-871-4144. So Alsana, I've spoken with them. I work with them. Um, They're a great resource if you're looking for another um, option in terms of residential care. Uh, They're pretty new and they're so far the only eating disorder facility that will accept um, vegan clients. So if that is something that you need or you're interested in, uh, they're a great resource. Um, There is a link to more information about them in the show notes. Instead of an article of the week, this week on Life with Ed, the podcast for the NIDA series, I'll be sharing conversations and stories from listeners. Because this first show is going to be all about caretakers and I'm having Will, who was my second guest on the podcast ever back in February of 2019, come back on as my guest this week to give us an update of him and his daughter and where she's at in her eating disorder journey. 
I thought it would be great to feature my parents. Um, they are the first ones I told about my eating disorder and the ones who've been with me from the, the start, obviously. Um, so I wanted to go back and ask them, you know, what would you want to say to yourself and what do you hope other parents learn before, you know, maybe having the same issue? So my mom told me that she still feels guilty and remorseful that she was clueless and eating disorders were just totally off her radar. She said, when you started following the super tracker meal plan and tracking your food and calories, I thought it was great. It seems healthy. You were doing the right thing. Now I know there were probably things I shouldn't have said to encourage it, but I just thought you were into health and wellness. I wish that someone at some point had said that a child being obsessive about healthy eating is not a good thing. When you had the stress fractures, I brought you to Dr. Kate Ackerman, who specializes in female athlete triad. You had stress fractures and a lost period, and I thought if there was anything more, she would be the one to say it. She did say that even though your weight seemed fine to me, maybe it wasn't high enough for you, but there was no follow-up, no actions to take. Once we knew there was a problem, finding a doctor or therapist who deals with this issue was so challenging. People don't talk about good and bad therapists like they will for other doctors, so we didn't even know where to start. And my dad said, I want people to know that eating disorders are real. My response when you told me you were purging was to say stop because I didn't understand that eating disorders were a much bigger and more complicated problem. This is anxiety, depression, OCD. As a parent, I'm not educated to look for those problems. I want to know how I would recognize them. Looking back, it's obvious that you had a clear need to control your environment more than other people did. But we didn't think of anything of it. That's just who you were. You kept it well hidden until it was a big problem. I see eating disorders as akin to alcoholism and drug addiction. They are a serious issue and not something that people can think their way out of. You need to be very patient and help the person. But at the end of the day, it was your problem. We could give you a safe harbor or a rock to reach out for, but that's it. All we can do is be supportive. I really want to thank my parents for taking the time to have that conversation with me and also share their thoughts because I I don't think it matters nearly as much what a doctor or a dietitian or a therapist or any provider says as much as someone else who's literally been in the same position. So if you are a parent listening, you know, my parents have a lot more to share of things they've learned. So feel free to reach out to me and I can pass the questions along. For any questions, comments, concerns, or to write in your own story for this week, please send me an email at W-E-R-T-H, that's worth your while nutrition at gmail.com. And um, if you have a moment, just rate and review this show that will really help other listeners find us. So without further ado, here we go to see where Will and his daughter are at one year later. Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. It's nice to hear from you. Yeah, nice to hear from you too. Thanks for making time. Oh, of course. 
Yeah. And so I just was hoping you could start by giving my listeners a little update on, you know, where things have gone with you and your daughter since um, last they heard from you. I'd be happy to do that. I appreciate actually that you reached out. Um, I think you said that there had been a few people that had maybe inquired and wanted yes. to hear more. So yeah. I'm incredibly grateful that um, that my story resonated with the folks and that um, they cared enough to reach back out. So that means a lot. Okay. Oh, so we're recording now. Yeah. So, um, so we had had, or she had had, I, I say mm-hmm. we a lot because we are very much a team. Definitely. Um, but, but she had um, been going through probably about six or seven, maybe close to eight months of um, of what I would call recovery behavior. Um, mm-hmm. In that um, she wasn't acting on any urges. She was, you know, she was completing meals. Mm-hmm. She wasn't. Um, she just she wasn't doing anything that I, you know, noticed that would have been eating disorder related. Um, and that, and that was still really watching it like a halt. Um, just making sure, going through, keeping an eye on everything, searching the room, searching, just keeping an eye out. Right. And then, um, and then right around the middle of summer, in, uh, right around July of, uh, of 2019, um, just started noticing um, food negotiation and when, um, when she'd have an opportunity to go out and eat, um, kind of going with lower calories. Um, choices, choices, and then um, and then it just started progressing. Um, I we got her in like we were we were at once a month um, with our regular therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, checked in with checked in with her on uh, in August, and we just tried to get. I wanted her to be the barometer on kind of where we were. Right? And was this something that we could self correct? Um, our, you know, ourselves, or, um, or were we looking at, you know, uh, some more intensive treatment? Um, after a month of sessions, uh, weekly sessions, um, our therapist, who is absolutely fantastic and has a, a background um, working with uh, adolescents with eating disorders, um, she she said we needed to uh, we needed to get an assessment. From mm-hmm. a professional, so we went um, went back to Veritas Collaborative here in Charlotte. They have a um, an in, uh, not an inpatient, but a PHP and outpatient program here. Right. Uh, went back, talked to them, and we were assessed at um, intensive outpatient. They thought that that would probably be um, good for her. Um, we were in that program for. It, it, we just it just kept kind of going on. We started yeah. in mid September, and then it was like nine or ten weeks later. And yeah, the whole that's time a long we, time. We were doing this. It, yeah, it just became a grind because it was literally this is from a caregiver standpoint. Yeah, every day we we had something to do. It was either Monday or Tuesday evenings. We were in IOP. Um, Wednesdays we were meeting with our outside therapist. Thursdays IOP. Friday meeting with the IOP team. So literally, there were days that we would leave the house at 7.20 a.m. and we would get home at 7.30 p.m. It's exhausting. Over, yeah. We were just, we were just ground down. And the whole time we were doing this, um, we kind of, 
we were flirting, we kept flirting with partial hostility. Mm-hmm. And, um, and every time my daughter would make a little progress, um, we would kind of go backwards and it just kept up. And so then the decision was made, okay, let's, let's try partial hospitalization. Um, we started that in mid November and she did, again, did really well. Um, you know, she, she really gelled with the team. Mm-hmm. She was doing well with the other kids. Hated to take her out of school. Um, but yeah, we just weren't, we weren't going, we weren't making the progress we need, we needed in IFP. Um, and then we kind of right before the holidays, um, she was really showing a lot of improvement, a lot of progress. Um, there was one meeting with a team where she really took ownership of the meeting and was very, uh, she just had a great way of communicating in that meeting, talking about how she felt, talking about what she wanted. She mm-hmm. was using a whiteboard to show all the, I mean, she was, wow. really, she was running, the, she was running the meeting. That's amazing. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it, it, it maybe. Maybe for this it's quick. We're not recovered, but making um, progress. But we're definitely making progress. And then we kind of got through the holidays, and the schedule for PHP was a little intermittent, and we had a couple extra days. And and I'm not saying that's what did it, but then it's also a hard really time. time. Yeah, yeah. By the time we were ready to release from PHP, um, she was regressing again. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, just it's like. This whole time, it felt like from September to early January, we just were stuck in the middle of the ocean, and there was not a single breeze to help push us forward anywhere. Yeah. It just felt, everything felt stagnant, and we were both frustrated. Um, our, 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 our nerves were kind of frayed. Um, and then again, when it, it's just me and her... So when you're together like that all the time, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's easy to start. It's easy where the relationship starts to fray quite a bit, and then mm-hmm. you know start having cracks, lots of frustration, um, lots of anger, lots of sadness. Um, and we made the decision two weeks ago um, to go into um, residence. Um, mm-hmm. For the second time, right? So, is the second time. For the second time. Second time um, to go into res. Um, not a popular decision. Yeah. With, um, with, uh, with the, but what kind of, what kind of kept getting to me and what the eating disorder does is, you know, again, I was, residents had come up and I had put it out there that this was the reality and this was a possibility. Mm-hmm. But the eating disorder really has a way of distorting that. And I think she thinks I was just bluffing. And that, and that her team was just bluffing. Right, um, like, oh, we this isn't bluffing. really happening. Yeah. It's just a possibility, maybe. Yeah. We, yeah. And as a caregiver, it was, it was a hard decision, but it was also a very easy decision. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that we needed to get her into an environment where she was safe where she was, uh, would have some more structure, some more discipline that didn't come from me because, again, at this point, she was really good at tuning me out. Right, um, yeah. Again, as, 
as any teenager is at that point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> any normal, normal circumstances, a teenager will tune you, uh, tune you out. But um, an eating disorder team can, well, when they tune you out, it, it gets worse. Um, so we made the decision, got her in, um, without really going into detail about mm-hmm. everything um, for her privacy. She's doing what she needs to do there. She's mm-hmm. doing the work. She's doing her job. Head down. Um, I've gone in and done, you know, done programming with her, and we've had some passes, and we've been working through. She's doing what she needs to do. Right. Um, and the main goal for me there was we needed to, we needed to get to a baseline. We needed to get her to a certain point um, towards her target weight. Mm-hmm. We needed to reestablish. Um, where we were on the medications, maybe take a look at medication, take a look and make sure that everything was effective, and then um, and then just kind of get her attitude um, straightened out. Because as a caregiver, what I was seeing throughout this whole process was that she still had it in the back of her mind, and maybe not even in the back of her mind. Yeah. It was in the forefront of her mind that she could have a partnership with this eating disorder and she could have what she wanted and it would have what it wanted. Right. Um, and when I would try to tell her that she would never have anything she wants because the eating disorder would take it all. Um, you know, the, I, the, the flashes of anger, the eating disorder would take over and, and really lash out. Right. And, uh, it's been very present. Um, it was actually pre- more present um, to the, team here in Charlotte than they had ever seen previously, um, which again, if you're around somebody for, you know, 12 or 13 weeks, it's hard to cover those things up, where right. you're just going to out, outpatient once a week like we were doing before, um, it's easy to cover those things up. Yeah. Um, so how does it so, feel sort of now this far, you know, into her having an eating disorder and going through recovery as a team, you and her? Um, to be going back to residential? Um, well, it's kind of one of those things where when we were in the um, in the recovery phase or in the recovery-like phase, mm-hmm. um, every parent wants to believe that they're the ones that have the straight line. I was mm-hmm. really hoping I had the straight line. Yeah. Um, the reality, reality is it's never a straight line. Um, we were going to... It was inevitable, and I hate to say that. Yeah. Um, just based on everybody that I've talked to and what I know, there's going to be some fallback. Now, how, right. how much that fallback happens um, maybe depends on when you catch it, um, what you're able to do. Um, and, and again, I, I was what I thought was being incredibly vigilant. And I thought that I was really good at sniffing it out. And then if I saw anything... Um, I would be on top of it, but it really, it really snuck in there, and it didn't just sneak by me. It snuck by her psychiatrist, mm-hmm. snuck by her therapist. We were all in a position in late spring, early summer, where we thought that we were, you know, we were going to go into a very prolonged period of recovery behavior, right. and um, and and really, and again, not to not to divulge too much from yeah. privacy. It really came from, and from what she has been communicating to me, it came from where she kind of wanted to see herself 
um, when school started for the next Right, yeah. And I guess that, that became an idea, and that idea um, became, a, it got rooted in, and then it was a conduit for the eating disorder to reemerge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and again, we didn't see it because she did, she wasn't communicating that thought to me. Right. Um, so again, it just kind of tie all of this. Um, so how would you talk to another family about the fact that you sort of mentioned, you know, relapses kind of are inevitable and it's never a straight line towards recovery? I use myself in, as an example. I use, I use what we've been through as an example um, I've been, I'll say, fortunate enough to um, talk to other families throughout this whole experience um, that we've gone through. Some some are just like us, and they're going through for maybe a second or third time. Um, some are coming in first. Um, I think the, the parents that do the research and the parents that are really involved in the programming and take the time to educate themselves, um, understand that that relapses and that curve in the road and maybe going backwards is a real thing and a realistic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I have run into some other parents and caregivers who think that it is very linear and yeah. that this is something that we could, you know, we just need to wrap it up and, and move on. And... Again, I think education, self-education, and um, and involvement um, really go a long way to dispel the idea that, that this is something that you can knock out quickly. Because I'm going to be honest, um, based on how things were last time and then going into IOP, I really believe that this was something that she was going to go in into IOP. She would hate the fact that we were back in treatment. And she would just knock this out, and we would have been done sometime in October. Right. So I think I I set myself up as a caregiver in believing, and, and I wasn't so much disappointed that we we were going backwards. I thought we would really knock it out real quick, and then when that didn't happen, I cried, and mm-hmm. I started, and I it really hit me hard. Yeah. Because I didn't think it would be this much of a fight, and, and if you had told me in September. That we would still that we would be where we were in January, I I don't know what I would have said because I really thought he was she would just go in there and nail it, yeah. and that was her attitude doing it. Okay, she's like, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go in and nail it. But the ED just wouldn't. She wouldn't let go of it, and it just kept hanging around and hanging around. It, right. it was really really frustrating. You're kind of getting at something that I've had a lot of listeners. Um, write to me about is how important it is for the caregivers to take care of themselves and to to make sure that you're you know in a healthy place so that you can take care of your child. Right, and I try. Um, I, I, I'm. It's been. I won't lie. Um, having her in res has given me an opportunity to to rest, to get some sleep, to focus on my job, to. Mm-hmm just focus on me. Um, and that has been very helpful. Um, I'm learning how to set up, I'm learning how to set boundaries here. Um, one thing I've learned kind of through this residential experience, as short as it's been so far is that, um, I, I have to be able to tell my daughter 
um, when I need a break or, you know, if, if I'm visiting and, you know, in a residential treatment like that, there's never like five or six hours of straight visitation because it's, you know, there's very, very regiment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I made it real clear that, you know, that I wouldn't be there. I would be there when I could be there. And then there were some times where I couldn't, but that was because I needed to take care of myself. Um, the previous month, it had been really spotty because, uh, again, we were just, we were grinding every day. There wasn't a lot of time to do anything. And by the time we hit the weekends, we were both just exhausted. Mm, yeah. Um, so I would say self-care was a challenge for me. I would try to to, uh, to get the movement and physical activity in. I would try to get to sleep as early as I can. Um, the problem is sometimes if you go to bed too early, you kind of give somebody an opportunity to act on behaviors that they have. Right, existed. yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, it's uh, having to get up maybe two or three times a night to, to do the rounds. And, um, and again, that's, that's not interrupted that's not uninterrupted sleep and that again just it just turned into a real grind and it really wore me down from a mental emotional physical standpoint so yeah i'm coming out of this knowing that i have to reestablish some boundaries and make sure that i have opportunities to rest up um and and that it is a it is fair for me as a caregiver to expect a certain amount of respect around that and that and that that I shouldn't have to um I shouldn't have to be up around the clock to make sure that uh, that she's doing what she's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um and I know a lot of that then comes from the work and progress and as we go forward, um you know, I I give her a lot of grace because I know what this disease does. Um but it's trying to separate the the teenage girl part from the ED part. And there's teenage behavior and ED behavior, and it is really hard to separate those when you're in this situation. Oh, yeah, definitely. So what would you want other people to know who maybe have never experienced an eating disorder themselves or have a family member with an eating disorder about eating disorders? Like, What do you want people to be aware of this week? I, I would want them to be aware that it is very dangerous, um, that this isn't, uh, it isn't something that just goes away. And it is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. That restricting is very dangerous. That purging is very dangerous. You know, I mean, if you're sick, there's, there's a natural part of what happens when, when your body needs to get something out. But then it's unnatural to get out things that your body needs. And right. I think people don't realize the, the physical damage that uh, that purging does or the physical damage that restricting does. It's not just losing weight. It's, it's your bones feeding themselves. It's your muscles feeding themselves. It's your organs having a hard time processing what foods you do have. It's the dehydration. Mm. So I think people need to understand how dangerous it is. Yeah. I think people need to uh, understand that you can't wait because I think the temptation is to wait to get an assessment. Um, Definitely. So really need to try to get a hold of somebody really quick and um, get the assessment um, and then take it seriously. Educate yourself. There's lots of opportunities. 
um, around the, the internet and um, social media and books, there, there's no shortage of really good um, opportunities to educate yourself. Um, if you can get into programming, take advantage of the programming, take advantage of the education. Don't be afraid um, to ask a lot of questions and don't be afraid to advocate for your kid when you're working with those professionals. But I would say the, to reiterate, number one, take it seriously. Number two, go get help as soon as possible. And, and if you do those two things, you're getting into treatment early and the opportunities for recovery are greatly increased if you can get um, get that person into treatment as early as you can in the disease. Right. Well, well, thank you so much for calling back into the show. And I know that my listeners and I will be thinking about you and your daughter and hoping that this time um, things go well and that um, she'll be out of residential soon. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, we have a date, so we'll report that and we'll figure out our plan uh, going forward. But I am, I am encouraged. I am rejuvenated, and and we're going to do this. And she's going to, she's going to recover, and she's going to get out of this. So I welcome um, the opportunity, um, maybe in a few months, to to give you an update on how things are going. But Definitely, again, I'm really, really means a lot to me that um, people um, were touched by this story. It means a lot to me that. Uh, that people wanted to see how that we were doing. And um, I'm just grateful. And I, I really just hope that everybody that's fighting this disease and caregivers that are helping, um, just keep going, keep fighting it, and um, and you'll get there eventually. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and have a great evening. I don't want to take too much of your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for making it this far in the show. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review um, on Apple Podcasts and come back tomorrow because this series goes on all week.